Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are finishing out part four, the final part, for regular listeners anyway, of our long-form series that we begin each year with. And today we're finishing out The World Under the Veil of Rains. Now, of course, this is the fourth part in our four-part series, so if this is your first time listening, you definitely want to go back and listen to parts one through three, or maybe just one. I don't know. You, you, you figure it out and then tell us how it went if you decide to skip around jumper. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, before we dive right into it, we, of course, have to acknowledge all of the beautiful things that make this show work including you guys. So if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow some instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're also on YouTube. So go ahead and subscribe and do all the YouTube stuff. Or you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Let's World Build. If you want to come join our Discord and talk to us more directly, there's a link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous or just want access to part five of this particular long-form series through the Aphid Lounge, you can do so by giving us money on Patreon and supporting the podcast. And we want to thank all of our patrons for their continued support throughout the year. And welcome to the newest patron, Bjorn. So Bjorn, thank you so much for your contributions. And with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive right back into the episode where last time we rolled our first twist of the year, which was add some Killian Murphy. So Courtney, considering that you're the one who added that twist to our twist list, how did you reconcile by adding more Killian Murphy? Yeah, so... This was this was never supposed to be a twist, but I guess we have to live with it now. <laughs> um, so, Rob, back in part two of this, you had introduced your otter clan and mentioned mm-hmm. that they might use shellfish as tools and weapons. And I got to thinking, how about how in Peaky Blinders, starring Killian Murphy, <laughs> that gang wears hats with razor blades sewn into the inner hem <laughs> or stitching or whatever. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so they can, you know, walk around looking unarmed, but in reality, they can take their hats off and use them to cut people up. So in my mind, your river clan otter people have the same thing, but the razors are shells. Or maybe it's like a sub-faction that's this gang. So it's not like super twisty, but I, I just wanted to include that and give your otter clan a darker side, perhaps. Okay, so instead of Peaky Blinders, because they're otters, are we going to call them the Squeaky Blinders? <laughs> it's, it's a romp of squeaky blinders y'all be Aww. careful that's adorable <laughs> um no i i actually i actually like this idea and i do like a more rough and tumble edge because like i always love a more multifaceted like kind of faction and stuff like that and the idea that you have this kind of like brutish it also like The idea that you're using like razor Mm -hmm. shells is like razor blades. That's a fun little touch as well. So I I dig it. I'm down for something like this for sure. All right. Cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. Also, how dare you say that it's not supposed to be a twist? It's always meant to be a twist. (laughs) I I like um, the non, like the kind of metaphorical take on it, which is nice because I almost went rather literal with the twist. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, do do you go on? Yeah. Well, I I was just thinking about... um, 
the actor himself, like, and what he's what he is like. Uh, My favorite movie is Twenty Eight Days Later, um, and I haven't you know I haven't seen Peaky Blinders, so I really need to watch that. Um, it's but, good. It's quite it's, good. It's okay. Yeah, uh, I think it's good. I think it's better than okay. There was like a certain level of like edgelord neeniness cheese to it that I didn't care for, but. Oh, see, but yeah, I think that's a big difference between you and I, Cordy, is that I appreciate a good amount of cheese every now and then, you know? Yeah, I don't yeah. really, I don't really do edge. I don't know. I'm too anti-edge, anti-cheese. She's more of a classic vampire. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Daniel, continue on with your, so so how did we add the edged cheekbones of Killian Murphy into our twist this time? That's what I was gonna say. Like as an actor, when I watched Twenty Days Later, um, he always struck me as a character who was simultaneously—I don't want to say like unearthly, but strange in a a Mm. not. um, He's he's not like your the the protagonist in Walking Dead, for example, that cowboy s character. He's Mm -hmm. not like your hard edged kind of like man's man sort of dude. Mm -hmm. There's a sort of mystery to him and. In those cheekbones, a sort of like mystique almost. And I think it's like <laughs> uh-huh, days later, uh-huh. you know, he comes out like he's like a beard, he's all messed up and everything. And then throughout the movie, he like shaves and he gets more sleek and more in control as the movie goes on. And and towards the end, he becomes so in control that he's as unhinged as the, the zombies. I remember towards the end, like you see him drenched in, in rain and he's looking through the window and he's in the military installation. And so I, I want I wanted to transfer that sense of control and mystery. And like charisma almost to the, the the zombie leader that we have that's drawing everyone together to characterize mm-hmm. him that way. So it's like the reason why he's able to call these people together isn't purely magical, but maybe also a sense of charisma to him. Okay. Ooh, that's fun. He just has like the sexiest cheekbones you've ever seen. He's, yeah, ba- basically, I'm just saying give him sexy cheekbones. That's all yeah, I'm saying. That's fair. Yeah, that's, fair. Comes <laughs> that's a lot of words for that. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, this is what I love about the Killian Murphy prompt is that we can be as literal (laughs) or as metaphorical as we'd like. Uh I mean, like we've boiled it down to cheekbones and a hat and (laughs) (laughs) basically razors. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm and I'm totally fine with that. Uh, I, too, took a very different approach when it comes to Killian Murphy, because Killian Murphy plays one of my favorite Batman villains uh, of all time in doctor i think it's jonathan crane or or aka the scarecrow in the batman movies uh the the dark knight movies rather and i i'm just a big fan of scarecrow in general i love his background i love the idea that he's using fear as a kind of like weapon like that's just a cool thing and you know what i was thinking i i think i answered a, a mystery to myself in that i want a character to exist who's actually behind the kind of sightings in the snow that we came up with last time. And I just thought it would be interesting if there is a character who is able to manipulate the, the snow, like instilling it with a fear energy, much like in Batman begins, they're trying to pump the toxin in Gotham's water full of fear juice as well. But like, it would explain why there are multiple people seeing like, uh, you know, stags and and bears and wolves and owls in the snow that terrify them. And what's pushing them out is not a physical, actual creature, but something that is portraying illusions and instilling the snow with fear itself. Because we had we had life within the rains, 
So why not fear within the snow? I thought that'd be a fun kind of way to reconcile it and also toss in a little Killian Murphy stuff, you know? No, I like that. That is an interesting contrast, like you said. Um, and I'm I'm curious, like, if what the people see in the snow and the blizzard, if that relates to, like, their own inner fears or if it relates to their own clan or a random thing that they see that's, you know, something scary. Mm-hmm. If if we keep with the strictness of it being a scarecrow analog, then it'd be like their deepest fears. But frankly, I'm cool with anything at this point, because mostly I'm just interested in spooking people with snow. Do you see um, this phenomenon being organized by like a figure in particular? That's kind of my thought. Like that's I, I'm open to interpretation, but that is how my brain initially kind of came to that idea and it might not even necessarily be connected with druids but considering that it is a weather manipulation thing it could be and probably is although if you wanted to keep it away from the totems and just have it be its own thing i think i'd actually prefer something like that if it was separate from the the druids themselves in some way yeah because we've had so many um druid adjacent things right Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's not a bad thing considering that we have a world that's based on archdruids. But I think that having something that situates itself either in between or adjacent to or in conflict of the druids in some way that are separate from the traditional magic that we're used to, I think that'd be fun and kind of interesting to see it done that way. Yeah. Last time we had talked about how there's the the second hole in the storm and like what it is and everything. And I mentioned, Oh, what if it's like a, an ancient weapon from like the far, far past, which could have had like a sci-fi level of technology. So like maybe that's part of what's doing this too, which could be an interesting contrast with the nature druid magic. If we have something technology based Mm. that they've unearthed that is somehow creating these, this like fear toxin or fearful imagery or something mm-hmm. or like a, like a pollutant in the snow in some way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Like we have um, a division, like two. So we kind of established two sides of the coin, like even on the one side, the people who are not of the dead and being led by this particular Killian Murphy figure, um, <laughs> they have their own infighting. Right. And they, they're trying to survive in the storms. But this gives us a chance to say, okay, well, there's this division between those two sides, but what's actually happening? So, like, they have their own mythology about how this hole was created, and we have a history of, a a kind of a tenuous history of these druids sacrificing themselves to be working against it. But if there's some sort of technological event that happened in the past, then it raises a question like, okay, is that a third side or is it related to one of the two that we've mm-hmm. established? And then is mm-hmm. that, if it is a third side, like, why is it manifesting in the snow? Is it related to the whole? Like, I almost mm, yeah. I almost don't want to introduce a totally new third thing, but it would be neat if it elaborates on the two sides. No, I agree. Because mm-hmm. another thing that we had talked about is like the Killian Murphy charismatic uh, skeleton figure, whatever, necromancer guy is like, <laughs> you know, that long title. Um, I, I think we went with like Shepherd of Rot last time. Yeah, but that, yeah, that, that sounds a little better. Um, I don't know. I think we could go with yours. I think it might, you know, like barely fit on a nameplate, but I think we could make it work. That could be the title <laughs> of the episode. Um, oh, please, 
Please let that be the title of the episode. <laughs> Killian um, Murphy looking bony guy. Like, yeah, that's what we wanted to do. <laughs> Perfect. Um, we had talked about like how he's probably heading to that second pole. So maybe like he's drawn to that technology in some way mm, for some reason. Okay. Like the, the white hole that we established. Yeah. Place. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the black hole. Like, yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like initially we had thought like, oh, he's heading toward the the city that's um going to be disappearing soon. The weather control. Yeah. Mm. Um, but then like I had also mentioned, oh, what if he's actually heading past that city to the north? Mm-hmm. That whole we could do two. We could say mm-hmm. that um they're related, like because the north we have the white hole, it's spewing crap out, right? Mm-hmm. And we know the city is the place where you at least you prognosticate about the weather and it has some sense of control. Now I don't know if it's the prognostication is really all that that city offers, or if it has some extra technology behind that. But mm. if you relate the two, like perhaps, you know, the white hole um, has a causal relationship to the city. So if you take the mm-hmm. city, are you then able to control the white hole, you know, and as well as the weather oh, yeah. patterns, like is the white hole related to something malfunctioning or perhaps some machination that we're unaware of happening in the city? I see what you mean. Like maybe there is some linked technology that's there that mm-hmm. maybe the the cartographers in that city don't exactly know what it is, but like they kind of mm-hmm. mess with it a little bit and maybe it's useful for weather predictions. So that helps them. But mm-hmm. the actual purpose is tied to whatever the white hole situation is. Right. Because I think if we can tether these together, even if they tell different stories, then we're not expanding the variables. We're just like filling them in. Yeah, I agreed. I think I've got a way that we can square this a little bit. So I'm I'm definitely getting like the stand vibes a little bit from this right now in that there's like, hey, there's a man in a black hat. We got to go meet him in the desert and we're going to fight. And for some reason, I'm getting that vibe from like the shepherd. Like the shepherd is like in my brain, I'm now seeing them as demonstrably good And this thing in the snow that's like causing all this fear is some kind of like black hat. And so Mm -hmm. the shepherd is bringing the congregation through this. And yeah, maybe we can stop in the city to pick something up. And it's like, we're not here to attack. We're not here to do this, but like, they're going to see it as an attacking force. Yeah. And in the confusion, they're like, we're here to grab this piece of technology so I can go ahead and drive it through the heart of this thing in the snow, you know, like, Mm-hmm. And because the narrative focus or the eye is not within the shepherd, they'll see it as, well, we're extra fucked because we have blizzards from the north coming in and we've got undead from the south coming in and we're sandwiched in between. It's cataclysmic to them. That's it's it's horror. But in mm-hmm. reality, you're just watching an unknowable force attempt to vanquish an ancient evil. Right. Which I think is kind of an interesting thing that seems like it's like the world that we've created is almost incidental to the grander plot that's kind of working itself. And, you know, you're just watching this aftermath of the events. Right. Especially because um, we had established last time that all those leaders are in the city currently because of that. what was it election or crowning of a new leader in that yeah. city and the the gift that was uh poorly received and yeah now yeah, everybody's exactly. kind of stuck there and to have like imagine if you know all of our world leaders were in one city and then all of a sudden there's like 
a mega apocalyptic level storm and mm-hmm. a giant like roving band of effectively undead like coming at it from both like that's that's yeah. pretty terrifying yeah plus if we center the narrative in the city itself then you create a powder keg and it's a really interesting mm-hmm. setting for the world at large I'd also like to say perhaps that like another Killian Murphy thing we can draw in, um, you know, like we, we have on the one hand, the, the aesthetic, that's what I'm adding. But I think also if we take a little bit of Oppenheimer, we could change his motivations. Like um, he could be trying to solve a problem with a heavy hand, mm. you know, in the same way uh, that we may have uh, solved a problem yeah. in the past. And so maybe his intentions are um, utilitarian, right? But, mm-hmm. but to those who don't understand, like, the far-off outcome, it seems, like, horrible. So maybe his arrival yeah, in sure. the city would be catastrophic, but what he has to do in the end could be good, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like he has to take the, the item that Courtney was kind of alluding to that, like, allows for the prognostication of the weather. However, in doing so, he effectively dooms the city, but in reality, he's actually saving the world or saving, mm-hmm. you know, the humanity at large or something like that. So you get that kind of, well, he d- he did something like there's there's some level of conflict because he recognizes that he is effectively killing the city or like completely weakening it in a very powerful way. Yeah. Like, is he going to make the city a permanent fixture because this is the city that mm. like can disappear and is only you can only get to it in certain parts of the year certain mm-hmm. exact like patterns of weather and so on like is he gonna change that in some very dramatic way i mean it could be that um perhaps the apparatus or technology that lets them do the prognostication has to be destroyed but it also uh, is yeah. in fact the thing causing storms uh, and they're not aware of it mm. yeah so they think they're predicting the weather, but they're actually causing it. Right. Interesting. And maybe like the dead has something to do. Because we have a whole other world of the dead, too. That we haven't really. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Know. I know. The other thing that we can consider as well is that when the shepherd kind of comes through and removes this technology or, or thing or whatever, it, it's not just that they're, you know, they stop the cause of the of the snowstorms and the blizzards. It's a matter of, well, we've unmoored you from the tenuous relationship that you have between the material and the undead plane. So now they're going to be permanently exposed. They're like now just fixtured on the material plane. So there's no interstitial part. It's like the whole navigation, like the thing that was keeping them very safe uh, by being difficult to travel to is now gone. So you're not only stripping them of prognostication, but you're also making them vulnerable by like forcing them onto the specific material plane that we're on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe his goal is to return all of the dead to the living, you know, and yeah, you know, the stranger things underworld or whatever it is by destroying this machine, it'll join the two and end the storms. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think we did bring that up last time too, mm-hmm. that that might be one of his potential goals. And I could totally see that. Like, wanting to merge that and maybe that will even calm everything down Mm -hmm. like obviously there's going to be a lot of adjustments to be made like you know suddenly having all these undead in your world but maybe maybe even though there would be this initial kind of cataclysm after that it might be better off Mm. 
I have this picture in my head that I'm trying to square. So y'all have seen us, right? Jordan Peele. No, I haven't. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm picturing specifically the hands across America scene, Daniel, and I'm Uh going to be as vague as possible, but there is something to me that I find really appealing that it's not just a mass that is going on, but it's like, Throughout this entire time, there's been a chain of undead. And what they're actually trying to do is link the two holes together through a literal human chain of undead. Oh. And in doing so, there, there's something that happened. I don't know. Like, I, I this is why I'm trying to square it. I just love the imagery or like this idea that this is the way that you can connect the two or like close both of them because the undead themselves are in. Okay. You get it. You get what I'm trying to say here. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm getting too excited, but that's, that's what I got right now. It might be similar to what the Druids did to bind the whole, you know? Uh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, we have a, we have a hole that is stopped from being opened further. Cause that's what the Druids did. Right. Right. But we have yeah. a white hole that's growing. So it's similar. So perhaps this is a way to stop the white hole from growing further. Like, I feel like we haven't really solved all these problems at all. Like, we don't really know what's going on yet, but we're trying yeah. to connect yeah. them, you know? Oh, man. So so how do we square it then? What do we want to focus on first? Hmm. Well, the other thing that we were going to bring to this episode was like a question that hasn't been answered yet about this Yes. Thing. I mean, maybe part of that, uh, these questions is to recap what the, the, the state of things are, you know, because we've got a lot of things going on. Currently. Yeah, a few. Yeah. We've got a couple here and there. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so actually, what, what do we, yeah, why don't we do that? So, Courtney, you, you started us off with your Killian Murphy twist. Mm-hmm. So, why don't you tell us what your question is that we have to answer? And maybe <laughs> we can tie some dangling cables together. Yeah, my my question was kind of like broadly, what's up with the underworld? <laughs> um, but, more, <laughs> but more more specifically, like what happens to the dead when they are deposited in the uh, maelstrom hole? Like, how mm. does that work? Do they just fall and hit the ground down there and like come to as a live undead kind of thing? Like what? What happens in that process? Mm. I mean, I always like when you have underworlds like this, um, I always like when they're mirrors of the world above, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I love that kind of, and we saw that most recently in, in Stranger Things, of course, which is, I thought was visually depicted in a cool way, um, but mm-hmm. it's been done a million times. But what I, li- I like perhaps the idea that when they're thrown through, you know, they're in another place where they can maybe resume their lives in a way that's mm-hmm. different than ours. But, but when we get glimpses into that world, like through the, like you were saying, the interstitial kind of like crossover, we're seeing a slice of it. We're not seeing what they're actually mm-hmm. experiencing. So I, what, I, what I mean to say is like, you know, you have an insight into this gray, ashy landscape, but it's because you're not dead that you're seeing that. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the ones who fall through the hole, they have a different experience of life than we than we know do they even know that they're dead i mean that's a good question hmm. Hmm. it's a lot to take in let's see yeah. uh, what i mean that because like what the implication of that would be that is that in, in our side the dead come back if they're not put in that hole right so that suggests that their mm-hmm. spirit is somehow imprisoned here 
Yeah, you know, they're not able to continue their life. So this afterlife, when they're put in the hole, they they're all to go into the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And then of course that raises the question of like, why is Killian Murphy coming back and trying to bring them all back? You know, <laughs> maybe what we should answer first is why do they keep coming back? And maybe that answer is something along the lines of there is something that is so incredibly terrifying within the realm of the dead that they refuse to die and they continue this living cycle instead. They're like, I'm not going to die. My soul will not be subject to the land of the dead. And yeah, I don't know that that's kind of what I've got. Maybe that terrifying thing isn't like a a being, but the realization that it's a lie that they're trapped in some Mm. kind of fictional reality. Right. Mm. And he's woken up and he realizes in order for the dead to actually die, I have to go back to the world of the living and destroy this thing so that realm is gone. Uh, okay. I see. I was thinking, like, what if their resistance to it is literally just the fear of that being it? Like, I mean, that the, could be. the idea of ah. like oblivion and they don't want to face that. Um, mm. But I feel like both of those ideas could potentially work. Mm. I mean, if those who realize that they're trapped in this fictive, let's say you're just reliving a a good moment of your life over and over again, and those who realize that, that could be a sense of oblivion to them. They're like, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. this is like actually torture. I'm trapped here forever. Ah. You know what I mean? And and they, when they wake up, they want this to end. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we can, we can use a Plato metaphor here of the cave, right? So imagine that you die and what you experience is the cave itself, right? You're experiencing the best moment of your life. And so to choose to remove yourself from the cave is to choose oblivion or at least oblivion as they understand it. It's a matter of choosing another existence or to Mm -hmm. end this cycle in some way. And we don't actually know what oblivion is, or we actually don't know if it is actual death or peace but it is something that to them is possibility of dying right yes exactly and and that is what is more terrifying to the undead is possibility Mm -hmm. right and and i think that's a really cool concept that we can kind of run with so then functionally does that mean you know people die if they don't get thrown in the hole then they're brought back to life because in effect the afterlife has been sort of forbidden to them right they come back to life mm. in their body, but they don't have any consciousness because they're trapped in the right. afterlife. If they're thrown in the hole, they are living that memory forever unless um, someone like our Killian Murphy character wakes them up <laughs> so that he could try and have them complete this quest to destroy the afterlife, the fake afterlife. Well, yeah. what? so th- this makes me question, right? If If they choose possibility then wouldn't that mean that the whole itself is raw possibility? It is this kind of crackling energy of chaos and uncertainty. And to choose possibility is to like hurl yourself into the hole in some way. Oh, I was seeing it the opposite. And that like, ah. this hole seems to be some kind of phenomenon that is trapped either. Sci- if you want to go to the sci-fi route, has trapped like psychic energy and consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. and they, that's at odds with like, the with the state of the dead when they are resurrected i don't i don't know like because if, if his intent is to um murphy's intent is to go to the city destroy the the weather machine and we're assuming the weather machine has something to do with creating the hole or then mm-hmm. it would mean that it's at odds with what he wants right so either either i guess the decision mm-hmm. for us is 
is the hole a bad thing or is it a good thing? I guess we never, that's another question to ask is like, why was it established to begin with? Because like the Druids sacrificed themselves to keep it from spreading. Yeah, right. That's just a dad, right? Yeah. So like maybe, I don't know, like maybe they thought that they were doing a good thing by Mm -hmm. stopping that spreading. But in reality, like that was kind of the natural flow of the world. And it mm-hmm. was supposed to like kind of eat itself or like flip itself inside out or something. I don't know. It seems confusing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a bit wary of that because I feel like we draw from that well often enough where I'm like, eh, it's yeah. like one of those things where it's like, oh, bad thing was good or supposed to happen <laughs> the whole time. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, like especially if it's like a long established type mm-hmm. thing as well. Yeah. So you know, like, we could walk through it slowly. Let's say, okay. Yeah. All bad or good? I was saying it's bad, right? Fundamentally, not a good thing for the world. I I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sure how I want to approach it. I don't know if I want to prescribe can, morality to this. We can thing. change our mind, but I mean, from the narrative <laughs> perspective, is it bad for the for the people of the world, or is it a good thing? The whole itself, and then we can we can go back and revise, mm-hmm. starting there. I think that's the main mm-hmm. thing we have to figure out. I think. If we go back to the original episode, Daniel, you mm-hmm. brought in the whole, and I believe we decided that it was effectively consuming reality world, as we knew right? it. Yeah. It's getting yeah. bigger and bigger. So we're assuming for now it's bad, right? Yeah. And yeah. It's, yeah. It's one. That's mm-hmm. their assumption. Yeah. Two, we've got storms all over the world, right? And they're related to this hole, I believe, right? Because the hole is the safe part. Well, the white hole is spewing out snow and ice from mm-hmm. the black hole. I think that's what we decided right. last time as well. And the hole is kind of like the eye of the hurricane. So it's part of the storm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it was calm. Yeah. yeah. So we know the white hole and the black hole, they're part of this giant ass storm. And we know that the black yeah. hole's bad. Okay. That's so that's yeah. those things we've decided. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Two, we we know that when you die, unless you get thrown in the hole, you come back and you're like a zombie, right? Mm-hmm. Related to the the rainstorms that bring life. Which is mm-hmm. the result of your stag person, I believe, sacrificing himself and imbuing the world with that magic? Yes, yes. So then that means that people going in the hole is bad, right? Or at least we don't know what that means for the for mm-hmm. people. It's bad from people's perspective on the world because they've got zombies rising up as a result. Yeah, I I thought that we established that if you toss a corpse into the hole, then that's the only way you can ensure that they're not resurrected. Oh, right. So maybe yeah. maybe yeah. here's where the question of what its purpose is can be raised because it keeps them dead if they fall in there. But okay, but, but how about this? Okay, sorry, I'm meandering, but how about this? It keeps them dead, right? But is it because it's trapping their spirits and something letting them pass mm. on? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay, okay, hold on. I have this image in my head of the souls in the hole itself are effectively like conglomerate. Like they're becoming a mass amalgam of yeah. like raw soul stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's a legion that it's like, it needs to be flushed. Right. The storm is soul stuff then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems, it seems then that like the world it's spewing out, it's been wounded and it's spewing out these souls. Yeah. The yeah. souls pour on the Ooh. bodies and resurrect the dead. And mm-hmm. so we put the bodies in the hole because at least then they can't feel the rain and be resurrected, right? But it's a wound still. So they're being trapped yeah. in yeah. this wound, right? Okay, so I think yeah. we're somewhere now. 
<laughs> oh yes okay. now we can tie in all the other stuff and see okay we have that baseline now it makes sense the motivation of killian murphy because he seems to be some dead that has woken up from the situation and realizes putting people in the hole isn't going to end this scenario right mm-hmm. and we need to i need to mm-hmm. wake up the dead give them back their consciousness free them from this conglomeration of souls so we can do something about the situation mm-hmm. yeah now I'm seeing the the kind of amalgam as like, if not a big bad, then like um like a monstrous force, right? Like imagine right. imagine like a Leviathan, but made up of amalgamations of soul stuff. And I'm not saying like it's easy, like, oh look, it's just like a fluid goop. No, no, no. I, I kind of want this thing to be like Legion from Castlevania where it's like you can see all the individual limbs and pieces and it looks painful, but it's like an ephemeral ethereal type of amalgamation as well. But it's just like, yeah, it looks like it's painful to be stuck together in that way. Mm -hmm. It's like two wounds. You've got like one wound spewing out blood and one other wound that's a hole, a gaping hole full of blood. Right. It's more like a reification of like the wound Mm -hmm. as metaphor. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, oh, the world is wounded. And then this is like the wound itself, you know, like you can even like call it the wounded as a thing or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so then is the is the white hole the result of the tinkering of the people in the city? We know that the druids dealt with the black hole, right? They sacrificed themselves to stop the wound from getting bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. White hole is growing currently. So is that the current story? Like the people in the city are like, oh, this is bad, but we have the tech to understand the prognosticate, but we can't really Mm -hmm. control that storm. It's getting worse and worse. I feel like we're perhaps giving a little bit too much uh, credit to the city when it comes to the white hole stuff, because in my brain, I see the I see them farther away from the white hole than they are close to it. You know what I mean? It's far away. Yeah. yeah. So so I feel like we should probably keep them out of it in some way and keep it separate to its own cosmology. So not linked in any way to that? Not to the city. I, I think that okay. we should keep it worldly and perhaps connected to any of the other massive connections that we have available. But I, I think that we leave the city out of it and leave it as an incidental kind of like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, oh, actually, yeah. I mean, that's basically what we can do is that the shepherd sees the thing that the city has as a way to finally close and heal the world, right, right? in, in mm-hmm. some way. But I like the idea that it's incidental and not malicious. Like, the idea that the city just so happens to have this thing is like, oh, yeah, no, you built your civilization around it not knowing what it is, but we actually need it now, so I'm here to take it. You know, like, that to me mm-hmm. is a lot more interesting than, like, them being the outright villains because oh, yeah, then, I, mean, I don't mean to suggest they're villains. I just mean yeah. to suggest, like, they have this tech that they've used to, like, prognosticate, and perhaps right. their use of it has caused, incidentally, other things yeah. to happen. The white hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying before, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, okay. It's in line with what you're saying. Maybe you, the more you use it, it makes it, it creates wounds. And maybe, okay, so right. that's a metaphor for, like, the more you try to master the Earth, the more you break it. Right. right. Yeah. And, and, and what we were talking about previously is, like, we can, I mean, I mentioned pollutants. And I feel like that's something that we can talk about as well as we can have like an industrial like kind of like they could represent industry or like the uh, disrespect of the earth or of nature in general in some way as well. Which is actually very interesting when you consider how 
important the natural world is in the druidic world, you know? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, we've got some stuff. We, we, mm -hmm. we've got some really interesting stuff here. So Daniel, what was the question that you had that you wanted to answer? I think we've answered that. And that was, um, about the motivation of the city and the villain basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've, we've got that for sure. The city is really, these are people just doing their own politicking, using the resources they yeah. have at their disposal, and it happens to cause larger problems, you know? Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I love the idea that their problems, like, make them blind to the larger problems. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, because remember, the whole scenario that we concocted last time was like, oh, you know, like, they killed the previous ruler and they're afraid of getting caught, like, they're hyper-focused on their situation and they're missing the literal apocalypse that's happening around them, you know? Right. And, and I think that's somewhat apt in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's good. I mean, my question doesn't help answer any of these questions. That's the problem. Because I wanted to know, like, what other kinds of magic exist and how do they function in the world, because again, we, we are deeply focused on druidic magic and we have the totems and stuff like that where, you know, that exists. But I imagine that much like in, you know, like the big wizard settings that, you know, druids are also there and so are clerics that mages, wizards, sorcerers, warlocks also exist within this druidic world. So like, what does it look like? How does it differ? And like, where does it fit in? Hmm. Yeah. See, not very helpful with all the questions <laughs> that we have. <laughs> it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about other types of magic at all in this world. Right. Um, That's why I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Because we, and this sort of raises another question, but like we had established that the sacrifice of those druids was like why their magic is sort of in the weather itself. Like you have the the life uh, rains you have the crow winds and like the otters control the movement of water and stuff and so yeah i wonder like how other magical types would get in to that i mean i'm a fan of um keeping it could be layers to it but keeping all of the magic systems under one umbrella like one mm -hmm. cause you know like you think of like final fantasy 7 right like all the magic is related to like some lifeblood of the earth right Right. And if, if we're talking about wounds, so spiritual wounds in the earth of this one, I think that could be like our umbrella. Like, even if the yeah. expression for magic is different, it all comes back to like, how are you using the earth and how is it, how is it either wounded or healed by that? Okay, that's fucking cool. Because now I'm thinking that like sorcerers and uh, wizards, they they feed off of the pain of the world, like the physical, literal yeah. pain of the natural world. And so it's like wizards and sorcerers are evil as fuck, right? Like <laughs> it, it, it's not like, you know, like, oh, druids, good guys. It's like, no, 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 no. Wizards literally manipulate the energy that is pain in the world. Agony is what they wield when they wield magic or, or at least or in some cases, right? You could also potentially see it as like pus or like the natural attempt at healing is uh perverted by the use of their magic you know yes, yes it's intentionally mm -hmm. so yes exactly yeah that brings me back to that episode that we had recorded with clark um 
was it Land of a Thousand Titans spawn, maybe that it was like the oh, the Greek one. Yeah, the yeah. Greek one and like literal like musculature and like heart inside of the earth yeah. that was like spewing up blood and pus and all that. I completely forgot about that, but yes, that <laughs> yeah. absolutely works. Yeah. Like similar vibes there. So like yeah, that's interesting that wizards could be manipulating it in that way. And like, does that mean that they've almost gotten more powerful as these uh, unpredictable or semi-predictable weather patterns have like swept over the earth? Are they like using that pain for their own benefit? Mm. I mean, I like the differentiation we have going there. Like that could be an explanation that works for me. Yeah. yeah. Then I also wonder, like, did the wizards have something to do with the white hole situation and what's going on up there? Mm. I mean, it may be, uh, maybe a question for like the people, that, if you're designing the setting and using it for your mm -hmm. own purposes, like you could sit down and say, all right, we've got the setting. We've got these possible avenues for explaining how magic works. Like what classes do we want to make for wizards and stuff like that? Yeah. Mm. Well, at least, at least we should answer this, right? How would that magic manifest, right? Because so far, all the magic that we've kind of gotten is, you know, manipulation of the weather in some way. But how would something that feeds off of pain kind of work in that regard? Because I don't see it being completely like, oh, well, pain is just like they shoot fires from their dick hole or something like that. That doesn't necessarily work for me. So, like, what what could it be then if if not natural? Hmm. I mean, since we had talked about the white hole situation potentially being technological in origin, but like far, far, far past to the point where it's been kind of forgotten about, like maybe that's where they take some of their power from, like technological devices that are seen as magical purely mm. or like uh, maybe stuff that's embedded in them. Maybe it's the mixed ritualism with those technological bits. Because like um, at the end of the day, we're manipulating life force of the planet, right? That's what it mm -hmm. is. The rain. So maybe right. like you you shed some blood into the technology, and then it does oh, stuff. Blood, you say. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Courtney's like, oh, I know that's I'm checking the subscribe button. No. Because <laughs> um, we we never really definitively said if this is a, like a dying or a sort of setting where there's like old tech or whatever. It could be. Right. But if, if yeah. it were, then the the ritual could be with perhaps found tech. If it's mm. not, then you have a classic fantasy ritual where you give blood to something and then it happens. Mm. I'm, yeah. I'm less interested in figuring it out because I would accept any explanation. I don't really care. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. just thinking about like what it looks like when, when wizards manifest this magic. And in my brain, if you're using like coagulant earth blood that is like literally a black agony stone, like I'm totally fine with that. You can have like... Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, mm -hmm. like I'm I'm cool with something like that where oh yeah, like wizards use like staves and like wands and stuff like that because they're literal coagulated or actually you could even do something like um instead of like pitch, you know like you'll you'll like use that for weapons and shellacking and stuff like that. It's like literally coated in world blood and coagulated blood and that's what gives it the kind of like finish and varnish that it needs. And so that's why wizards have staffs and, and uh, wands and like foci of power and stuff like that. It's because they're channeling power through coagulated agony, like an agony stone or something like that. Could also so, be um, the like trap souls that we had talked about. 
Ooh, yes, Courtney. That is absolutely what we're going with. <laughs> yeah, no, they're mm-hmm. manipulating soul, raw soul stuff. That is mm-hmm. agony. Like, like, it's not just physical agony. It's spiritual, cosmic yeah. agony in a way. Yeah, that's dope. Great job, Courtney. That's a great <laughs> idea. There you go. Yeah, fuck yeah. Okay, nailed it. Knocked yeah. it out. We, we got there. Oh, and then maybe I could see like a faction of wizards like trying to seek out that like legion type thing that you were talking about, like the massive amalgamation of soul stuff as like an ultimate power source. Or or, like a beast to be tamed, you know? Yeah, yeah. That obviously if we're doing the the thing, it would turn on them and immediately wipe out the entire faction, right? Like probably something like that. Um, Or, or... We could say that this cabal of wizards is like the thing that is causing it in some way. Like it's basically like tormenting this amalgam constantly, which is also kind of causing some havoc. Yeah, there's a lot here. I wonder then if like the wizards are that secret council that was behind the death of that leader and behind the, you know, the gift that's trapping and maybe for some reason like them trapping the leaders in that city is like part of their master plan yeah there we go <laughs> it's all coming up millhouse absolutely like, yeah maybe most people you know see the killian murphy necromancer skeletal guy uh shepherd and think like oh fuck it's an army of zombies approaching but the secret council is like oh fuck they're probably coming for us aren't they like yeah it probably know. is yeah okay okay so if if Killian Murphy represents the kind of undead that are coming to end the pain of the world, can we just call him the painless or something like that? Like, mm-hmm. like that sounds like a cool title that you can give someone who's coming to like literally put an end to the world's pain. Of course, yeah. now it feels like an old yeller situation <laughs> where it's just like, like trying to put it out of its misery. You know? <laughs> God. Well, you had a good, you had a good run earth. Time to take you <laughs> back with the shotgun. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you had a good couple billion years in you. Mm-hmm. All right, come on. <laughs> oh my God, that's, I don't know where we go from there. So I suppose <laughs> we just end it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could always like figure out a quest line, but maybe that's something that we save for the, the patron episode. Yeah, actually, that that's a great idea. If you want to hear us finish out this long form setting that we've got going on here, including a main storyline quest, you can go ahead and do that on the Aphid Lounge whenever you want, just by giving us a little bit of money on our Patreon. But uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this particular setting, y'all, unless you all have any other questions or comments before we pivot on over. Nothing immediate, but... I feel like oh. I feel like I'll have more questions by the time we record the uh, the Aphid Lounge episode. So many, yeah. yeah. Oh well, if that's the case, then that's going to do it for this episode of World Build with us and our long form series of the year. We always like to start off the new year with a new long form series because we just love to deep dive into something new, but. Next time, we'll be back to listener-generated prompts. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow some instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building 
your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on YouTube and Twitter. On YouTube, it's the same name, but on Twitter, it's at Let's World Build. So you can go ahead and follow us there for all sorts of fun things. If you want to come talk to us more directly, you can go ahead and do so on our Discord, where we talk about world building and how fucking cold it's been lately, among other things. So come chat with us over there. It'll just be part of the community. It's always a pleasure to see new people. Always a pleasure to hear about new worlds. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on Patreon, where you get access to sweet, sweet patron-only goodies like the Aphid Lounge, our patron-only podcast that we do roughly every month, and uh, other stuff. Like if you want two episodes for your prompt that you send in to us, you do it through patronage. And that's going to do for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together. Until next week. 